0: King of my heart You
1: Now, maybe just a wee bit late in saying this, but I wanted to say a happy new year to everyone. Uh, it's been a few months since we have been here, um, and it's just so lovely to be Anne and I, to be back with our spiritual family here in San Ramon. You know, we've sought to, we've sought to pray for you every day. Um, we have sought to pray for Shari. And it's just so encouraging to hear that the Lord has brought her through uh, treatments thus far, and we trust that the Lord will continue to grant her a full, a full recovery. So <clears throat> lovely to be with you again. I keep telling this man, I'm here on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> but <clears throat> he's got spiritual deafness. He doesn't want to hear... It doesn't want to hear. <laughs> but there we are. Uh, we we'll trust the Lord will bless our, our, little, our little times together. Now, we're reading, folks, um, this morning in the Old Testament, in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, please, and in chapter 37. <clears throat> <clears throat> Genesis in chapter 37. We're reading at verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhad and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him More than all his brethren, they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, "Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now look down to verse 23, uh, please. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, the company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we shall slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchant men, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now, lastly, down at verse 31, please. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know not whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, This is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son's many days and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him but he refused to be comforted and he said for i will go down into the grave unto my son mourning thus his father wept <clears throat> for him now these are very touching verses trust that the lord will use them for the blessing of all our hearts I think if you count up you will find that there are eleven Josephs in all of our Bible. Beginning at the Old Testament and then to the New Testament, there are eleven men in all who come by the name of Joseph. It's always been interesting to me that at the beginning of the Bible there is a Joseph in the, in the Old Testament. And when you come to the New Testament, there are two Josephs in the beginning of our New Testament as well. In the beginning of our New Testament, there are two Josephs that are perhaps two of the best known. One of them is Joseph of Nazareth, who was the supposed father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the other was Joseph of Arimathea, who you remember owned that tomb in which the Lord's body lay prior to his resurrection from that tomb. It's interesting to note the the contrast between these two Josephs. Joseph, who was connected with his birth, was a poor man. And Joseph, who was connected with his death, was a rich man. Now, when I say Joseph was connected with his birth, you know that Joseph was not the literal father of the Lord Jesus. He acted as a guardian. He was married to our Lord's mother. And he acted as a guardian, at least in those early days of the life of our Lord here on earth. We always like to say things that will cause people to remember these things. And I want you to remember this, that in relation to the birth of the Lord Jesus, remember that in eternity he was motherless. And in time... He was fatherless. He had no mother in eternity, and he had no father in time. But yet the Lord saw to it that Mary, his mother down here, had a good husband in the name of Joseph, who was a poor man. And it reminds our hearts this morning that when the Lord Jesus came, and how we've been reminding our hearts about that over these last number of days and weeks, That when the Lord Jesus came to be born down here into this world of sin and shame, we remind our hearts that He was born into a home of poverty. When they came to worship to the temple when the Lord was only eight days old, it says they brought eh, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. They couldn't afford the lamb. And they brought the very lowest offering that it was the least expensive offering that it was possible to bring, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Wonderful the poverty of the Lord Jesus to leave the splendors of heaven, that heaven where he could not be contained in his glory and in his greatness, to be born in a manger to sorrow and shame. Oh, it was wonderful. Blessed be his name. Coming. Coming for me, for you. Born in another man's barn. Born in a night house. Born in a stable. The wonderful humiliation and poverty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet Joseph, who was connected with his death and with his burial, was a rich man. Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph had that tomb. And Isaiah says of the death of the Lord Jesus that he was appointed with the wicked in his death, but, but he was appointed a place with the wicked, but he was with the rich in his death. And God saw that there was a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, who had that place wherein never man before had laid, that lay in that tomb the most precious thing on earth, until on the third day, hallelujah, He rose again. I like to remind our hearts when I think of these things that, you know, those spaces in which He was embalmed couldn't hold Him. The swaddling bands in which He was enclosed couldn't hold Him. The stone that was on the door couldn't hold Him. The seal that was on the rock couldn't hold Him. Satan himself couldn't hold Him. And on the third day up from the grave he rose with a mighty triumph over his foes. We all feel like saying today, Hallelujah, what a Savior. So, <clears throat> 11 Josephs in our Bible. I want to speak a little bit today, possibly, about this first Joseph in our Bible. A wonderful character he is, a wonderful picture in himself, a wonderful type in himself of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he was first of all a son and then he was a shepherd. The first picture you get of Joseph in our Bible is he was feeding the sheep. He was a son. He was a shepherd. He was a slave. And then he finishes up a sovereign. In the land of Egypt, no greater in Egypt Uh, save Pharaoh than Joseph. What a wonderful picture he is of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting to me also that in the beginning of our Bible, you have one book about four men. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. One book about four men. But when you come to the New Testament, you have four books about one man. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. All about one book. All in one book. But when you come to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all about one blessed man. It's all about the Lord Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a wonderful Savior we have to speak about today. Take him out of the Bible and there's no salvation. Take him out of life, and there's no satisfaction. Take him out of heaven, and there's no song. But he's in our hearts today, and we love him because he first loved us. And we were reminded this morning that on that cross he was wounded for me. What wounds were his? What distress was his on Calvary's tree when men nailed him cruel nails through his tender hands and through his blessed feet, and that spear wound in his side from whence did flow the blood when he was forsaken in order that we might never be forsaken, when he suffered in order that we might never suffer, when he was left alone on Calvary's cross to die, in order that we might have a home with him in heaven in eternity to come. So, four books about one man. But in the beginning of our Bible, we have one book about four men. The first of those men that I have mentioned to you is the man called Abraham. Now, when you think of Abraham, brothers and sisters, I want you to think that Abraham was a man of worship, Abraham was a man that had something to give to God. Abraham was a man of building altars. Four times in the book of Genesis, as you read through, you will find it says four times over, and Abraham built an altar. The first one that he built was when he came out of his own land and came into the land of Canaan. The last one that he built is perhaps the best-known one when he built an altar on the Mount of Moriah when he was going to offer Isaac, his son, as an offering. And when you think of an altar, you think of worship. Here's a man who wanted something to give to God. And on the Mount of Moriah in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham gave the very best that he had And the very dearest to his heart he built an altar and he presented his son to God. We think of worship. Now brothers and sisters, we have entered into just now another year. And I would love us all to be, including this man on the platform just now, I would love us all to be brothers and sisters who worship not just Christians who come to meetings. Not just, not just Christians who read books. Not just Christians who listen to sermons. But if I could set something before you as an ideal for the new year, is that we might all be men and women who worship and who have something to give to God. And I know we do it in our own homes. And I want to tell you what really encourages me when I come to these meetings, the breaking of bread here on Sunday mornings. What really encourages me is that I hear so many different voices. I hear a hymn here, a song here, a reading here, a prayer here. It's like an orchestra, a note and then another note, and then another note, and it seems to rise into a crescendo until we come to that place where we take the bread and the wine and we bow and worship for Him who died for us on Calvary's cross. Amen. Oh, that we might all be worshippers. Oh, that we might all have something in our hearts to give to God. You know, I want to tell you this as I go round at times various fellowships. Sometimes on Sunday morning there are dreadful silences and there's no one to worship. There's no one even hardly at times to give out a song. And hearts are cold at times. And we've become so engrossed and engraved in the world that when we come to the Lord's day morning we have nothing to give. Oh, I trust that we'll all continue to be worshippers. And to give our very best to him. I don't know if you've ever heard of A.W. Tozer. You know what Tozer said? Tozer said, "Worship. Worship is the missing jewel in the evangelical crown." What was he saying? He says, "Oh, we can all preach, and we can all speak, and we can all attend." but with little to give to God at the end of it all. The missing jewel in the evangelical crowd. And I want to encourage my brothers, don't be afraid to give out a song. Don't be afraid to read a verse. I want to tell you, just like here at home at the present time, there's this awful flu epidemic. And two Sunday mornings ago, as we met in our fellowship, it was the smallest meeting, the smallest gathering we have ever had because of this flu. And we have been going to that fellowship for 13 years. And as I looked around that morning, two Sunday mornings ago, I wondered to myself how we would ever get the time in. And after 13 years, a dear brother stood up that morning and gave out a song the very first time in 13 years that I had ever heard his voice. And boy, it helped the meeting. There was just something about it. And then another brother stood up, an immigrant, an immigrant brother, a brother from Slovakia in Eastern Europe, and then his kind of Broken English, he stood up and he read. And he had asked me in the week that was past, he said to me, he said, how do you pronounce that verse in the Bible? Eloi, Eloi, Lama And I told him how that we pronounced it. And he got up and he read that verse and he said, I want to read to you, the cries of the Lord Jesus on the cross, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, an immigrant brother, brought up in a Roman Catholic church, never heard really the message of the gospel, but was saved when he came to Ireland. I tell you, our hearts were touched. Our hearts were touched. Worshippers, dear brothers, Dear brothers, let us seek as we enter into this year that we all might worshippers be and have something to give to God. How much he gave for us. He gave himself and we should seek to have something to give to him. So we think about Abraham. He was a worshipper. We think about Isaac <clears throat> and perhaps this Perhaps this follows on from what our brother here read, thought about this morning. When we think of Isaac, we think about the Word. Because Isaac, four times in the Bible, you will read that Isaac digged wells. He digged wells. Now, he may have digged more than four wells, to be fair, but he he undigged wells that his father had dug that had been filled in by the Philistines, but he himself dug four wells. Now, when you think of a well, you think about refreshment. Think about refreshment. Brothers and sisters, where do we find our refreshment? We find it in the Word of God. We find it in the Scriptures. We find it in the Bible. Can we not look back this morning to that first time whenever we found refreshment in the Scriptures for ourselves? That old hymn says it, I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. It's wonderful to have had that drink of refreshment from the Word of God. Our brother and sister here were introduced to me this morning as having recently come to Christ. They've had that drink of refreshment that the world could never give. Oh brethren and sisters, here's another here's another object for the new year that we might not only be worshippers, but that we might be men and people of the Word of the Word. You know, sometimes, sometimes if you're not reading the Word, you can get, do you have this word, cranky? Do you have that word? You ever meet old cranky Christians? I tell you, I tell you, they're not all in Ireland, I'm sure. And every every time, Every time I meet an old cranky Christian, I always think of somebody who's not enjoying the word. They've left the Bible and they've left the word and they've left refreshment and they've become dried up in their souls. One of our brethren at home was putting his little grandchild to bed, four years of age. And he said to his little grandchild, we're going to pray. And the wee boy was a bit overcome because he wasn't sure what to pray about. And his grandfather said, just repeat this after me. And he repeated to him Charles Wesley's lovely hymn. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Look upon your little child. We would obedient be. Teach us, Lord, to come to thee. And at the end of that simple prayer, the wee boy said, he said, is Jesus gentle? Is Jesus gentle? The grandfather said, yes, son, Jesus is gentle. And so should we be too. Brothers and sisters, let us be gentle and kind one to another. Let us not speak about one another harshly or find fault. Let us be gentle the way the the way the Savior was. And I believe if we read the Bible the way we should, we will be gentle and kind and loving too. So when you think about Abraham, you think of worship. When you think about Isaac, you think about the Word. When you think about Jacob, you think about witness. If Abraham, if he built altars, if Isaac, he dug wells. You know, what, you know what Jacob did? Jacob raised pillars. Four times over in the Bible, Jacob built a pillar. Every time that he had an exceptional experience with God, he raised a pillar. When he first come to Bethel, he raised a pillar. What was it? It was a witness that I've had dealings with God. Brothers and sisters, here's another object for 2018. Could we be men and women who raise pillars, spiritual pillars in our lives that we belong to Him? You know, the first pillar that we raise when we come to Christ is when we're baptized. That's a wonderful pillar. When our friends, when our neighbors... When our family look on and they see us going into the waters of baptism, it's a pillar that we belong to Him. Could I gently ask this morning, any believers here not yet baptized? It's God's mind that you should be baptized as a witness to Him. And then I was reading, I think you'll enjoy this. I was, no, I wasn't reading, I was looking at a documentary recently about a sportsman, and you'll never have heard of this sportsman. He plays a very obscure game. His name is Tim Tebow. Heard of him? And in that, in that documentary with Tim Tebow, it says how he went into the changing room and he saw that other, other players before the game were writing their father and mother's name upon their face, and Tim, Tim Tebow wrote upon his face before he went out to face the crowd, John three sixteen. John three, what a what a what a spiritual witness! Do you know that whenever he did that, there were literally millions of people who Googled John three sixteen to see what John three sixteen was. Now, I don't want you all coming here next week. I don't want to see Adel with John 3.16 written on his brow. (laughs) I'm just saying that there's wonderful ways in which we can be a witness. But listen, brothers and sisters, if you're going to write John 3.16 in your face, you have to live a righteous life. And you want to put a John 3.16 sticker on your car, you better be a courteous and careful and considerate driver. Is that right? So when we think of Abraham, we think of worship. When we think of Isaac, we think of the Word. When we think of Jacob, we think of the witness that we want to be to others in this world of sin. But I want to come just with a few minutes now I want to come and speak a little bit about Joseph, this lovely character of Joseph. The thing that marks Joseph wasn't so much altars or wells or pillars. The thing that marks Joseph was his garments. Joseph was a man of four garments. If the Lord leads us, we may speak. If the Lord spares us next week, we may speak a little bit more of some of the other garments that, that Joseph wore. But I think sufficient for this morning will be to speak about this coat that Joseph's father gave him. What a wonderful coat it was. You know, I suppose this might be the most well-known coat in all the world. Because even the world made, they called it the amazing technicolored coat. (laughs) But you know the strange thing about it is this. That the first thing of color in the bible is the rainbow now i used to know a little a little acrostic thing that reminded me of the seven colors of the rainbow but i've forgotten it now so i can't tell you what the colors were but everybody knew everybody knows the colors of the rainbow but when you come to joseph's coat that his father gave him because he loved him more than all his brethren there's nobody knows the colors that were in that coat. It's not described for us in the Bible, the colors that were in that coat. And you know, brothers and sisters, there was only one person in the world that could understand that coat. And that was his father that gave it to him. When his brethren took that coat and dipped it in the blood of the goat, and they took it back to to their father and said, is this be Joseph's coat or no? It was only the father that could understand it. Brothers and sisters, it reminds me that when it comes to the Lord Jesus, there's only really one that can fully comprehend him. Joseph Condor wrote a delightful hymn. It said he's the everlasting word the Father's only Son, God manifestly seen and heard, and Heaven's beloved One. And in one of his verses, he says, The Father only, glorious claim, the Son can comprehend. Every day we try to know Him better, every day we try to get to know Him more, but we'll never really understand the glory and wisdom and power of His person, even in eternity to come because no man knoweth the Son to save the Father. And the Father only could comprehend and understand what was in that coat. But one day, one day there was a color in that coat that old Jacob never meant to be there One day, those evil brethren, they brought that coat of many brothers, of many colors, stained with the red of blood, the crimson red color of blood. Jacob never meant it to be on that coat. It was a coat that, it was a color that wasn't there from the beginning. Does it not remind us of Calvary? Does it not remind us of that precious blood that was shed for us on Calvary's tree? You know, <clears throat> if Jacob had have known, if Jacob had have known all that lay before Joseph, Jacob would never have sent his son to seek the welfare of his brethren. I want to tell you brothers and sisters. God knew. God knew about Calvary from eternity past. God knew about that wounding that we spoke about this morning. <clears throat> God knew His blood would be shed. Do you sing a, hear some, a hymn sometimes? We sing it at home in relation to the, the death of Christ. Knowing. Knowing we would bruise him and smite him from the earth. Thank you, our Father, for sending us your Son. God knew all about it. And the Savior knew. The Savior knew. Jesus, knowing that his hour was come, and all the things that lay before him, said, let us go forth. And he knew. And he went to the cross, suffered, Your stead and mine. You know, one day, our wee boy, our eldest boy, our eldest boy. The two of them, two of them, were very, very fond of sport, and the other one in the middle couldn't care less. So different. But the two eldest, the youngest and the eldest, were always very fond of sport. And one day, one day, our eldest boy came home from school, and I met him at the door. And from head to toe, his wee coat, his trousers, it's just covered in mud. Just covered in mud. You know, my first reaction, brothers, my first reaction, brothers and sisters, was to delight. I don't know if you can do it in this country or not, but we're still allowed to kind of hand out a wee bit of summary jurisdiction, and <laughs> and that was my first reaction. But you know, what came to my mind. What if somebody had brought his coat home? And instead of the brown of mud, it was the red of blood. What would you do? Your, only, your, your, your eldest boy, what would you do? I tell you, I put my arms around him. Told him to get changed, give him a hug. And in my heart, I loved him all the more. And yet the father had a son. The only son that he loved. And he knew his precious blood would be shed. He knew he would be pierced and wounded on Calvary's tree. And yet he gave him for the likes of you and me. Oh, brothers and sisters, we bow We bow and worship. We worship Him because we love Him because He first loved us. Remember these four men of the Old Testament Bible, but remember especially the one in the New Testament who loved us and gave Himself for us at Calvary. So we just commend ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Father, sanctify thy word to all our hearts today, we pray. We would long to be worshippers. We long to be men and women of thy word. We long to be spiritual witnesses in this world that has largely forgotten God as we've been already reminded today. And we long, Father, we would really long that we might be more like our Lord Jesus in our walk, that we might be more like him. So receive our thanks for our time together. Bless thy word to all our hearts and encourage us as we meditate and think on these things. Help us to be better Christians this year than we were last year. We commit ourselves to thee and pray a blessing in the Savior's name. Amen.